0: Good morning, church family. My name is Rob. I am a pastor here. It is good to see you this morning. You heard our scripture read so that you know you know we're carrying on in Mark chapter 10. You know that Jesus is speaking about marriage and divorce, and that might elicit any kind of response in you this morning. With the number of people we have here, there could be any number of responses. Maybe you think, um, you know, I'm 13, and Marriage and middle school don't really go together, so I'm just going to daydream about my basketball game. Maybe you are thinking, uh, I don't know if people in here know that um, you know, you're divorced. And you're thinking, if I would have known that we were going to talk about that this morning, uh, I wouldn't have showed up. It's just too raw. It's too sensitive. Maybe you're thinking, uh, I'm a high schooler, I'm a young adult, and I really don't know all that I believe or all that I feel when I think about uh, God creating male and female and marriage being between one woman and one man, gender, sexuality. Like, I have a lot of questions about that. Um, maybe you're here this morning and like you're you're just crushing it in your marriage. You know, it's going awesome and praise God, that's great. All right, we're glad you're here. You want to hear what Jesus has to say about life? That is great. Um, Maybe you're here, you're single, and you want nothing more than to be married. Um, Maybe you're here and you're married, and if you're honest, sometimes you think you might want nothing more than to not be married because it's hard, and you never thought you'd be at this point. We can be all kinds of places when the topic of marriage and divorce come up. I want to encourage all of us friends that, Every one of us this morning needs to hear these words from Jesus. All right, middle schoolers, you can speak words of life and truth into your parents' marriage. I know because it's happened into mine. And I think Liz and I have shared that no human on the planet has had more of a positive impact on our marriage than one of our single friends. Marriages can be restored and renewed when we look to God's design and when we see him as the designer. And we need to see this morning that marriage, we need to get this reality, that that marriage it points us to and it speaks to a reality that is so much more than two humans coming together. Marriage points us to one whose strength is fierce, whose grace is extravagant, the one who can change everything. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to dive into these 12 verses at the beginning of Mark 10. So pray with me. Father, wherever we're coming from this morning, if this topic brings joy or if it brings great sadness and pain or if we're struggling to see how it really connects to our life at all, we pray we would hear the words of your Son, that we would see our Savior Jesus this morning as we make our way through this passage. Would you do this by and through your Spirit and for your glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three questions as we come to these 12 verses. Three questions. Number one, what's your agenda? Number two, what's God's design? And number three, what does this mean for us? So, what's your agenda? What's God's design? And what does this mean for us? Let's start with agenda. We've got to just acknowledge that a lot of our questions have agendas behind them, right? Like I realized this week when I asked the question uh, of you, if I ask, hey, are you hungry? I just got to be honest. There are, often I am not sincerely pursuing the answer to that question, all right? Like there's an agenda behind that question. I'm not wanting to often, when I, when I ask you, are you hungry? I'm honestly not wanting to know the level of your hunger, all right? When I ask that question, I'm wanting to communicate to you that I'm hungry, all right? <laughs> and I want to go eat somewhere and I need an accomplice, all right? Like that's, That's often my agenda behind asking that question. I think all of us can agree that there are often agendas behind questions that are asked. We're here, we're in Mark 10. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. Uh, He's resuming his public ministry. Remember last week we noted he was keeping his head down, laying low and giving some attention to the disciples and goodness know they needed some attention, but now he's kind of lifted his head up again. He's teaching publicly, crowds have gathered and here we are again, verse one lets us know that he's teaching, as was his custom. It doesn't let us know what he's teaching about, but it lets us know that while he's teaching, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they rock up and they've got a question for him. They ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And there's just a lot going on in this question, and I want to make sure that we see it this morning. They ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Uh, Number one, almost certainly everybody in that audience, especially those that were asking the question, knew that Deuteronomy, this Old Testament book, said that it was lawful for a man to divorce their wife. Um, What's at question here, what's at the heart of this question is a particular phrase, a particular issue when it comes to divorce in their culture. All right, the first uh, verse of Deuteronomy 24 makes it clear. It permits divorce if a husband, and here's the phrase that was causing all the debate in the day. It says, divorce is permitted if a husband has found some indecency in his wife. All right, and what they're wanting to hear from Jesus about, or should I say what they're kind of pretending to want to hear from Jesus about, is how are we going to interpret this phrase found some indecency in his wife. Like, that's at the heart of it. Because there's one camp that says, no, found indecency in his wife, that's exclusively defined as adultery. Like, that's the indecency that Deuteronomy is talking about. And then there's another camp that says, actually no, the indecency, that could be anything. That could be the husband has found an indecency in that he, uh, you know, his wife always burns his favorite meal, and that could be indecency enough. Or actually, he would just prefer another woman and she doesn't measure up to this other woman. And so he counts that as an indecency. That's what's at the heart of this question is what's the grounds for divorce? What's allowable? That's what they want to know. And um, remember, friends, agendas behind questions. Mark pulls the curtain back for us a little bit. And you see what he says in verse two, he says, the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked. All right, so they're not sincerely pursuing truth uh, about marriage and its design and divorce and how it's all supposed to work. No, they want to test, they want to tempt, they want to trap Jesus. Any number of reasons why they might want to do this. Um, <clears throat> If you look at the geography mentioned in verse one, uh, and if you remember the overall story that Mark's been telling, they're actually back in the land of John the Baptist, where John the Baptist worked. And if you know that story, you know John the Baptist had some teaching on marriage and divorce that landed him in trouble with the authorities and actually got him killed. So they could be thinking, hey, if we get Jesus to talk about the same kind of stuff, maybe he'll go the way of John the Baptist. Whatever it is, the Pharisees' agenda they see that Jesus is getting in the way of their way of life. Jesus is getting in the way of their joy and their freedom to do what they want to when it comes to marriage. And so they want to get rid of him. That's their agenda when it comes to marriage and divorce. So the question for you and me is what's our agenda? Like when we come to this topic, what's our agenda when we come to marriage and divorce? You could have all kinds of agendas. It might be um, family values, right? Like our our agenda when we think of marriage is uh, family values, traditional culture, the strength and stability of society. And I'd have to ask you, like, is that God's main purpose for marriage? Is Is that why he designed it? Or you could swing to the other side of the pendulum and maybe our agenda when we approach marriage is um, expressive individualism, right? That would lift up personal freedom and self-determination and self-expression as the highest good, right? That would kind of uh, want to exclude any kind of outside authority and just highlight authenticity. And so with that agenda, we approach marriage and we say, really marriage is about me becoming a better and happier me. Is that what marriage is for? Is that why God designed marriage to make you a happier you and a better you? Sometimes when it comes to agendas, we just need to look to our story, right? Like your story determines the agenda that you approach marriage with. Maybe you had an experience in your past. And so when you come to marriage, you're not thinking about God's design. You're just thinking, I want to make sure that never happens or that always happens. And so your story's driving the train and not God's design. We just need to ask ourselves, what's the agenda when it comes to marriage and divorce in our hearts and in our minds? And I would contend God's design should be our agenda. So we've looked at agendas. What's your agenda? Let's look now at what is God's design. All right. I always love how Jesus responds so many times when people come up to him with a question. He, he has this kind of reflex that he does. Jesus, again and again, how does he answer questions? With another question. All right? So he gets a question. He doesn't give an answer. He asks another question. Christians, we should learn from this response. All right? Let me encourage you one. Read a book called Questioning Evangelism by Randy Newman. If you want to, you can come next week. There's a class before our service. He'll be teaching at it. So let me encourage you to come to that. But Jesus asked them a question in response. Right? He says, well, what did Moses command you? And then they give their answer from that book of Deuteronomy we were talking about earlier. They said, well, Moses allowed a man to write his certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus says, okay, let's have a little heart talk. Let, like, let, I'm going to go after what's going on in your heart. And then we're going to look at what God's design is. Jesus says to him, You do realize when Moses wrote that law there in uh, Deuteronomy 24, he was writing it because he was acknowledging the brokenness in here and the brokenness out there. He was acknowledging the hardness of our hearts. And so he wasn't um, sanctioning divorce. He wasn't recommending or authorizing divorce. What that law is meant to do is to contain the destruction to mitigate the damage that divorce does, right? And in an extremely patriarchal society, and some of what that law was meant to do was provide a woman with some amount of protection to say, hey, at least a reason has to be forgiven and and a certificate has to be drawn up. But don't don't get it flipped, all right? This is in no way condoning or authorizing or sanctioning um, marriage Jesus is helping the Pharisees see, uh, guys, what you're doing is you're you're zeroing in on what's tolerated and you're not looking at what's commanded. You've given all your attention to what's tolerated. Let me remind you what was created and what was commanded. He's exposing them by the question that they ask, right? He's like, your question reveals something about where your heart is, right? Like, let's say um, I needed to borrow a hundred dollars. And so I go to my friend, Matt Litson, right? I'm like, Hey Matt, will you let me hold a Benjamin? And he's like, yeah, I'm stacking the cheddar. I'm good for it. Like here's a hundred dollars. All right. And so, so Matt gives me a hundred dollars. And then the next words out of my mouth are Matt, under what circumstances would I be released from having to pay you this hundred dollars back? That reveals something about my heart and about where I'm at and what I'm after. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you're asking this about Deuteronomy 24? Guys, that's a a verse of concession, not intention. All right, God's trying to mitigate damage and destruction. He's not saying this is where flourishing is. This is where life is. This is how I've designed things. Divorce was already happening so that it wouldn't just bring more destruction. Here's how to limit it. So then Jesus goes on and he teaches these truths from creation. He says, hey, Pharisees, you don't need to start your conversation in Deuteronomy. You need to back up. You need to start your conversation in Genesis about marriage. You need to go to the beginning. You need to go to the creation because um, God created the institution of marriage. He created men and women who enter into it. He created the world that it exists in. So if we want to understand it, we have to start there. Or suffer the consequences. And so Jesus affirms some of these truths that come out of Genesis. Let's let's look at some of these truths that he reinforces here. Uh, God made them male and female. Gender was God's idea. Male and female, distinct, different, and very good. And that can often be an unpopular truth in our day and age. But it's one that Genesis teaches. It's one that Jesus reaffirms. It's one that Christianity holds and Christians should hold. And now I understand there are those who struggle with, with understanding their identity. And you might be here this morning. And I just want to say, if anyone who's only looking in here or only looking to the world around them to understand who they are is going to struggle, we have to look to our Creator. And for those who struggle with this issue of identity and and gender, um, for us Christians, let me assure you, our call is never to mock them or ridicule or scoff. Um, Our call is to love them in a way that gives credibility to the truth that we want them to know and understand. I've just never heard anyone share the story, hey, I was in this lifestyle, and then some people came and belittled me and made fun of me, and that changed everything but I have heard many stories of those who have been patiently loved and led to the truth and shown Jesus, and he changed everything. So Jesus speaks of um, male and female diversity coming together in unity, God's good designed to lead to life and flourishing. Male and female coming together in marriage, again, that's another unpopular truth in our day and age. Some might say, well, Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. He never spoke against homosexuality. So maybe we shouldn't. Either one, making a case from silence rarely leads to a compelling argument. And two, we do see here, Jesus says, no, God's good design for life and partnership and marriage is between one male and one female Um, A couple more things to note about God's design. I want you to look at the math of marriage here, all right? We're talking math and we're talking marriage. I'm on thin ice in both areas. Um, Marriage has a unique math where Jesus says here, reaffirming what Genesis says, um, that one plus one equals one, right? And I have spent most of my life getting math problems wrong. But this is one math problem that if you are married and you get it wrong, it's hard to get anything else right. All right, I have been married for 20 years. I've been in ministry for over 20 years. And I have seen that and um, most marriages that are broken and struggling, um, you can trace it back to this inability to get this marriage math right. This one plus one equals one math. And where there's joy and where there's flourishing and where there's health in marriage, it's because they've come to understand by God's grace this one plus one equals one math. The math of marriage, Jesus reaffirms there, two becoming one. And then he says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And here when he says, let not man separate, he's not taking, talking like, male as opposed to female. He's talking about man as opposed to the the divine, all right? So he's saying, listen, this is how it works. God brings us together. God sustains us. Our only hope to endure all the hell and hopes and high waters of marriage is if God is at the center. Let no human separate that. That's God's design. And so the fellas hear that, the disciples hear that, those following you hear that. They go back into a house later and they're like, Jesus, could you give us some clarity? Like what's going on? And he makes it clear, divorce is a deviation from God's plan. That, that no husband or wife should d- divorce their spouse and marry another what's your agenda, what's God's design, and then what's this mean for us? I struggled where to put this in the uh, the sermon, so I decided to put it here. It, it's something that needs to be said. Friends, I have a 30-minute sermon, all right? We're ta- I cannot say all that there is to say about marriage and divorce, all right? I can't say even all that the Bible says about marriage and divorce. Divorce, And I'm not trying to play by monopoly rules and use this as a get-out-of-jail-free card, all right? Like, it's the reality. I can't fit it all into one sermon, but guess what? That's why you need the church. That's why you need pastors and deacons and elders and board of women to walk with you through this. That's why you need community groups to walk with you through this. We're not going to answer all of your questions here in this one sermon. That's why we invite you to invest and connect with the church. A few things that we can say and that we need to say. The Bible speaks in other places about marriage and divorce as well. The Bible makes it clear that there are um, allowances for adultery and abandonment when it comes to divorce. The Bible makes it clear, and we want to make it clear as a church that uh, you should not endure or suffer abuse at the hands of another. And if that's the case, you should reach out and get help. You should speak to us. In no way is the teaching of the Bible that, that one spouse should endure physical abuse uh, at the hands of their spouse, sexual abuse at the hands of their spouse. We want to make it clear as a church that should never be the case. If we go back to Mark chapter 10, our passage for this morning. We've been looking at the words of Jesus, but let's remember the one who's speaking and where he's going. Let's remember the one who's speaking and, and where he's going. Jesus is speaking and he's on his way to Jerusalem and remember what he's going there to do. If, if marriage is one leaving a father and a mother to be united to their bride. Jesus has left his father in the incarnation and coming to earth. Jesus will leave his mother with his dying last breath on the cross. Why? So that he can be united with his bride. That's what it takes to be one with you and with me. That's how much he loves his bride is that he would give his last breath He would live a perfect life and take our punishment on the cross so he could make us his bride. Jesus is the true and greater husband all of us are looking for and longing for, whether we're married or single, male or female. Jesus is our true and greater husband. And he didn't do that. He didn't pursue you and love you because he was infatuated with how you look on your best days when you're hiding all of your mess. Now, Jesus saw your junk. He saw your mess. Can we just all acknowledge that every one of us is an adulterer? Maybe some of us physically, but all of us spiritually. And yet still Jesus says, I love you and I've come for you. That's what we remember when it comes to what marriage is pointing us to. The meaning of marriage ultimately is about that. I do want to speak grace to those who are here this morning and you've experienced divorce, maybe for a, a, a reason that scripture gives, maybe for a reason that scripture doesn't give, there's grace for you. All right, earlier, earlier in Mark chapter three, do you remember what Jesus said? All sins will be forgiven the sons and daughters of men, right? He was talking about the unpardonable sin, which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which means the unpardonable sin is not divorce, Divorced people don't need to wear a scarlet letter in our church. In fact, you can go read the book of John. And if you read John's account of Jesus's life, do you know the person that Jesus has the longest recorded conversation with in John? The longest engagement recorded between Jesus and another person is between a woman who's been divorced five times and she's on her sixth man. Jesus has time for her. Jesus loves her. And we're told that she actually goes out into the town and brings many others to come and put their faith in Jesus. So there's grace for those who've experienced brokenness in marriage. Kids, we're glad that you're here. This, we want this to be a church. Teenagers high school students, middle school students, where you can ask questions about marriage and, and, and sex and gender and where it's safe and where we can, we can try to answer those questions for you and walk with you in your confusion to find God's truth in these areas. Um, I think about my story, and I, I would imagine there's some here that might be teenagers that actually see a marriage struggling in their own home. Jesus sees you and cares for you. And if you need to talk to somebody about it, you can hear. For my married friends, um, we do have a marriage weekend coming up, February 10th through 11th. Uh, over 20 of you are signed up, and I'm really excited about that. Let me encourage you to consider that. And again, there might be some here who think, you know what? That seems like a far and distant goal. Like if there were, I mean... You cannot fathom what it would be like to go with your spouse to a weekend like that. Can I give you one potential application for you today? Would you consider praying together as a couple tonight and asking God to help you? And maybe, let's be real, you're not at that point. Would you pre- consider praying by yourself tonight and asking God to help you? Uh It's with some little shame that it took, uh, that I tell you this, it took Liz and I 10 years of marriage to figure out, hey, maybe we should pray together before. We were missionaries, all right? Okay? And after a decade, we finally figured out, hey, maybe things would be better if before we ended our day, we just prayed together. And that one small act has made an incredible difference. And us being able to live out the, 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 the math of marriage, this one plus one equals one. All right, so all of us, single, married, male, female, let's lay down our agendas, all right, when it comes to marriage and really when it comes to every other area of life. And let's look to God's design and just realize our only hope in marriage, in singleness, in dating. Is our true and greater husband, Jesus Christ. His grace, His mercy, His love. Let's pray. Father, no doubt um, for many of us, the, these verses could touch on wounds. And at the same time, we rejoice that for there, that there are probably many of us too where we can see and, and point to your faithfulness in sustaining us. And, and even in spite of our best efforts to mess things up, you have created flourishing and, and health. And so I pray wherever my friends are to, this morning, um, in their relationship with you, in their relationship with others, that you would be at work drawing us to yourself, Helping us to know your goodness and your grace and your love. It sustains us in singleness. It sustains us in marriage. And that this institution of marriage points us to a a true and greater husband in Jesus. That there will be a marriage feast that we will all enjoy. That there will be a marriage for eternity married to Jesus where there will be no strife and no tears. And, And Father, that's our hope.